Welcome to church this morning. Um, if you are new to the church, maybe you're a first time watcher, um, just want to thank you for joining us and well, I want to welcome you to, to, to our, our time of worship together. Um, I'm excited to just continue on in our series called What We Believe. And we've been talking about the past few weeks what we believe about the church. What does the Bible say about the church? Okay. Um, before we get started in, in the message, just want to let you know that our youth are on their way back from a retreat. They've been there all weekend at Forest Home. Maybe you have kids at that retreat. I want to encourage you to keep praying for them as they make their way back, that they would get here safely. And we trust that God, God's been doing amazing things, teaching them the Word of God. And we're going to ask that He does the same for us this morning. All right. Well, some of you uh, realize that in this world, there's a lot of things, and its purpose can often change over time from its original purpose, right? How many of you guys enjoy a nice cold bottle of Coke every once in a while? A nice cold bottle of Coke. Well, I wonder if you know that when Dr. James Pemberton uh, first invented this, he was actually badly injured in a battle, the Battle of Columbus. And in, in order to deal with his injuries, he got addicted to morphine. Morphine was kind of the pain reliever. And so he wanted to wean off of that addiction. So he created a concoction that was supposed to serve as medicine uh, to help relieve his weariness, his exhaustion, his headaches, his anxiety. And it was really good. And there was different ingredients, including cocoa leaf extract, which was an ingredient they used in cocaine. And it was just really good. And over time, they got rid of that ingredient used in cocaine and just added a ton of sugar. And what was supposed to wean him off an addiction became an addiction for many people all across the world known as Coca-Cola. Some of you guys in here struggle with that addiction this morning. How many of you guys are familiar with this toy growing up as a kid? How many of you guys played with this toy, watching it walk down the steps, right? Well, did you know that its inventor, uh, Richard James, actually created this as a tool, as an instrument for, um, for ships? Is an instrument that would help stabilize nautical devices or equipment when the seas got rough and, and the boat would toss and turn. It was supposed to stabilize the equipment until that day when... Uh, his instrument fell off of a shelf. It got knocked off of a shelf, and it walked its way down to the ground. And he realized, man, that, that's a pretty cool thing. And it became a wildly po popular and successful toy known as the Slinky. That's how we got that. In fact, uh, the inventor, Richard James, says, honestly, I didn't invent the Slinky. It walked into my life. He's obviously a dad as well. Um, how many of you guys used this this morning? Listering to deal with your bad breath. Thank you for using it this morning. And, and, and you would be pleased to know that this actually, the original purpose uh, was a floor cleaner. It was used to clean floors. It was a surgical antiseptic as well. And that wasn't so popular. They didn't do too well until they changed their marketing strategy. And they started telling people, hey, it'll cure your bad breath. And profits then shot through the roof. From $118,000 to over $8 million in the first seven years of repurposing it and changing the marketing strategy. How do you like that? Or should I say, how do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, eh? But, but over time, we know that anything in this world can change its purpose. 
Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And I think the same is true for the church. And I think it would do us well to stop and ask, what is the purpose of the church? What did God intend for the church when he instituted it? And for some people, over time, it's become a platform for political opinions. It's a political platform. And for others, it becomes a hub for social activism. And for some people, it's a, it's a social club. Right? I know people a lot of times immigrate to the U.S. And sometimes the first place they go is to church, not to find Jesus, but to find people who speak their language. And that's not necessarily a, a, a bad thing, but... I think we have to come back and say, what is God's purpose for the church? What does the word of God say? And realize that that purpose does not change because the word of God does not change. And so what is the purpose? And I want to show you this morning that it's, it's really a threefold purpose when we look at the Bible. First of all, we exist to lift Jesus high. How do we lift Jesus high? By going deep and going wide. We lift Jesus high by going deep and going wide. In other words, a three-directional purpose. One, we lift Jesus high. We want him exalted and lifted up in every heart. How can we do that? Well, inwardly as a church, we can go deeper in our faith, in our knowledge, in our love. And we, we go outward by reaching those who are far from Jesus and reaching them with the gospel of grace. So we have an upward focus, an inward focus, and an outward focus. And all of this comes from the word of God. This is central to the purpose of the church. Because it's the preaching and the proclamation of the word that's going to take us deeper into our faith. And it's the preaching and the proclamation of the word that's going to help people who are far from God find him. And all of this exalts Jesus Christ in our hearts. And that lifts Jesus high. And so this is central. So what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, and we're going to look at the inward purpose of the church this week, the inward purpose. Next week, we'll look at the outward purpose of the church, all right? So let's, let's pray, and then let, let's turn to the living word. Let's pray. God, we, uh, first of all, thank you for the youth who got to spend all weekend just soaking in your word and taking in your truths, we pray and we trust that you, you've truly spoken to them. And as they come back, we ask that you bring them back safely all, um, actually with all the leaders, over 100 of them, as they come back, we pray that they would get here safe and sound. And we pray that this morning, as we open your word, you would do for us what we, what we trust you did for them, that you would fill us and feed us, that you would nurture us and nourish us with your word. God, our hearts are hungry, and so we're, we're, we're just waiting in expectation for you to satisfy our souls. So would you, would you feed us your word? Would you make us strong? Would you help us to grow? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, your apps, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. And as you turn there... Um, I want you to think about what the church is. And you think about the, the Bible authors, I really believe that they're very intentional about the analogies or metaphors that they give us for the church. Out of all the things in this world at their fingertips that they see, they could have used any metaphor. They could have looked at the church and said, 
you know, actually the church, you're like a wheel. You're like the wheel of Christ. And each of you are individual spokes. And together, we all have to function together. Without one spoke, we're broken, we're, we're unfruitful, we're unproductive, we're useless. But together, if all the spokes are working, then we could roll. We could roll through the ups and downs. We could go distances. Right? That would work. That's a good metaphor, no? But the Bible doesn't call you the wheel of Christ. He could have looked at you and said, ah, you, got, you, got, you guys are fruity. Right? You're the fruit basket of Christ. You know, some of you are sweet. Some of you are sour. Some of you are prickly. Some of you are plump. But you're a beautiful arrangement that, that Christ wants to present as a gift to the world. You're the fruit basket of Christ. And, and that could have worked, but it doesn't call you the fruit basket of Christ. Well, what does the Bible call us? I think about one of the most prominent metaphors we have in the Bible, and I just imagine the Bible writers as they're writing the New Testament thinking, what, what is the church? What is the church? What, what's, it, what's it like? Oh, that's right. We're, we're like a, a human body. Yeah, we're like a human body where, where everyone's like a different part with, with different abilities and, and we function differently but, but for one common purpose. That's what we're a human body, kind of like the body but of, of Jesus. Yeah, that's it, the body of Christ. And, and so the, the, the Bible, one of the most prominent metaphors calls us the body. And yet that, can, that, that term, that, that analogy is such common vernacular among us that sometimes we miss the deep implications of why the Bible calls us the body. And yet we realize it's very, very intentional. You know, um, I have um, an enemy in this world, and I face him every, every week, especially on Sundays. It's this guy right here. It's a donut. Like, this is my arch nemesis. Like, I love donuts, and yet I try to avoid donuts at all costs. Like, it's not good for you. It's probably the worst food on earth, really. But for the sake of this sermon illustration, I'm going to eat this donut for you, for you, for the glory of God, uh, and for the kingdom. I'm, I'm just going to, uh, right here in front of you, just mm, indulge a little bit, if you don't mind. Mm. Glory, glory, glory. <laughs> mm. I thank God. I really do thank God as I eat this. I think, amen? You, I, I'll show it to you, brother. Hold on. Let me, let me just see this illustration. I thank God for my uh, elbows. Why? Well, because I could see this with my eyes. I could pick it up with my fingers. But how in the world would I get this to my mouth? I would sit here staring at it. I would be drooling from my mouth, wanting to eat this. Thank God for my elbows. Because <laughs> without my elbows, they wouldn't even be able to get to my mouth. And right now, as I'm enjoying this, I thank God for my, my molars. You don't see them right now. But it's breaking down this donut so that I can actually taste it and, and swallow it. I thank God for, oh, I got like glaze all over me. Thank God for my salivary glands that right now it's like lubricating it so that it could go down. Hold on. <laughs> ah, thank God for my esophagus. 
that's actually transporting it from my mouth down to my stomach. And I thank God for my digestive system that's going to work to break it down. And, and you think about all these parts. You don't realize that all these parts actually play a role to get this into my system. Now, which part of my body benefits from, uh, from this donut? My elbows? Is this what gets fed? Sorry, I'm like spitting donut everywhere. Uh, is it my molars? Is it my, no, the body gets fed. The whole body is fed, is satisfied by what my elbows and my molars and the different parts are working together to do. And every part we realize is important. Each part of the human body, the Bible says, is specific to, to help the body grow. And in the same way, every part of the body of Christ has a role to help this body grow. So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start from verse 14 through 20. It says this, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, it wouldn't for that reason stop being a part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Highlight that line, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You can pause right there. And so... What this passage is saying is that by God's design, different body parts are created different with different abilities on purpose, just as he wanted them to be. Now, this verse, that, that truth right there should bring us a lot of freedom because a lot of us spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of sadness in our heart Wishing that we had something, an ability or a role that another person has that God didn't give you. I mean, how many of us look at somebody else, maybe in your life group, and you wish, man, I wish I was out, as outgoing as that person. They can just talk to anybody. They feel so comfortable with anybody. I wish I was like that. Or I wish I was like that person in my life group who's so outspoken. And they could just articulate anything in them. I struggle to find my words. Or maybe you see a sister in the church and you're like, man, I wish I could bake as well as she does. Like she has the gift of hospitality and every time there's an event, she always bakes the most amazing things and she just brings it every time and everybody sings her praises. Or how many of you guys, like me, you, you hear somebody on stage, they're leading us in worship and you're like, man, they could sing. Like why didn't God give me the ability to sing? Like I wish I had a voice. How many of us wish we could sing? And you'd be like, God, I would totally use that for you. I know personally speaking, I've seen people on our staff and in our church who have an amazing gift of administration. And so many times, man, I wish I was as detail-oriented or uh, uh, organized, logistical as some of these people. Why? Well, a lot of that sometimes comes out of insecurity, right? Because sometimes, at least in our minds, some of our minds, we see being unorganized or not so detail-oriented as an inferior thing about you, like as if you're lesser or lacking. Reality is that's not true. 
Right, just like being an introvert isn't inferior to, to an extrovert. You're not lesser lacking because you're an introvert, as some people might think. That's just not true, right? Amen? Right, and all the introverts go. Right? No, like, but, but we, we, we see the, the ways God has made us with our strengths and abilities and the things we don't have, and we celebrate. We should celebrate, I should celebrate the fact that, that some of you have what I don't have. Why? Because it causes me to need you and your gift and your role and ability. It helps me to be dependent on and benefit from what you're able to contribute to the body of Christ. And we see that God has created, by, there's no flaw in the design. If you're lacking an ability or a gift, there's no flaw in the design because by design there's this interdependence that God has created for the body parts and that in turn creates unity among us. Like I've learned to celebrate that there's people on our staff who have the gift of administration, the gifts of serving and the gift of helps. Why? Because if, if I had all those gifts, I would just do it all myself. Like, I don't need you. I'll just write, make my own slides. I'll, I'll just write my own notes. I'll take care of everything. I, I wouldn't need you, but I thank God that he's created me to need you and appreciate you and love you. And, and some of the people on our staff, staff who are gifted in administration actually free up the pastors to be able to focus on preaching and teaching and shepherding. And in turn... Those God has called to preach and teach and shepherd free them up to play their God-given roles. We're working together. For example, let me give you an example. This past week, Lauren Comes, who is our worship director, early in the week, we're trying to work together. I'm trying to give her what this message is supposed to be about so she can coordinate the songs um, so that we can sing in response. And I kept changing it on her. The next day, I'm like, okay, we're going a different direction. Here's what the message is about. And then she changes the songs. The next day, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm changing directions. I think this is what I have to speak about. And I, I had to apologize. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I keep changing it. She goes, no, 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 don't even apologize. She's like, I do not envy what you have to do to prepare a sermon. Don't apologize. And what she's saying is, I'm glad you're, you're doing the sermon and I don't have to. I'll take care of the songs. In my mind, I'm like, I would way rather prepare a sermon and preach it than have to figure out what songs to sing and, and develop the song sheets and the chord charts and the team that's going to play. And, or, that's not my thing. I can't even do that. So I'll preach. And, and what you're seeing is different parts of the body working together for the good of the body to help the body grow. And so that's what your part is going to do. And that's what your part is going to do. And that's what your part is going to do. We're going to help the body grow. How? How does the body grow? Well, remember, we're talking about the inward purpose. And one thing we want to do is we want to grow deeper. We go deeper. And so write this down. The first thing we do is we help the body grow deeper in love. Your role helps the church grow deeper in love. If you're taking notes, if you have your phones open, write this down. Your role, your role, your role helps the church grow deeper in love. And I believe that the more we play out our roles and we serve with our gifts and our abilities, we're going to recognize the other person and that God has blessed them with something he didn't bless me with, and I'm going to appreciate you more and value you more and love you more. We're going to love each other more. I believe it. We go on 1 Corinthians 12. Look what he says in verse 21. 
Since the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. No, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Highlight that word, indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. You can pause right there. Again, I believe over time, this interdependence that we have, where we rely on each other, we're going to value each other and appreciate each other and love each other more. We're going to see God working through each person. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Um, Before I uh, got into surfing and mountain biking, snowboarding was my thing. I was like an avid snowboarder. That was my sport. And for those of you guys who have tried it, you know, right when I got into it, I mean, I was hurting like a lot, right? Because I got into this board and right away I was trying to go off jumps and ride down these guardrail, these rails. And I was constantly, those first few times snowboarding, constantly eating it. Like I, I would face plant, scrape up my face. I would scrape up my elbows. I would bruise my tailbone. I was constantly falling, constantly eating snow. And my body, after each day on the slopes, would be in so much pain. It's so sore. And then the next day, and the next day after that, there was one part of my body that I just couldn't figure out. It was always the most painful, the most sore. And I'm, I'm wondering, why is this part of the body hurting so bad? Do you know what part that was? My triceps. And I'm thinking, why in the world are my triceps hurting from snowboarding? When did I ever fall on my triceps? I don't remember falling on my triceps. When did I use it? Do I snowboard weird? Do I snowboard like this using my triceps? Like, is there something I'm doing that I'm not realizing? Like, why is this so sore? And then it hit me. After a few times, I get it. I know why. And I realized that every time I fell, every, whether it was like on my butt or, or on my knees, whatever it is, every time I got up, what was I doing? I was using my triceps, right? If you guys ever work out, you know that this motion or this motion is using what? Your triceps. And so constantly, all day long, without me realizing it, my, my triceps are going to work doing what my triceps do. That's why they were so sore. Now, let me ask you this. Every time my triceps were trying to get my body up, were my triceps benefiting? Absolutely. How do I know that? Because it's sore. And soreness is indication that my muscle tissues have been stretched, they've been used, even ripped. And as it's repairing itself to strengthen itself, that's, that's the soreness going on. And so over time, that's going to strengthen it, it's going to harden it. If I keep on doing it, it's even going to help it to grow. And so absolutely the, the triceps are benefiting from going to work all day. But is the tricep the only one benefiting? Who's benefiting? The whole body. It's the triceps doing its part to get my body up off the ground, up off my behind, back onto my feet, and helping me to keep on going. Benefiting itself, but benefiting the whole. Who would have known? I totally never would have guessed that this muscle behind my arm has been working behind the scene. Not so visible, but so valuable. Not so visible, but absolutely valuable. 
And I share that because there's going to be some of you who feel like, I have nothing significant to offer. I have nothing good to bring to the table. My gift is not as shiny as that other person's gift. My contribution is not as significant as that person's contribution to what God is doing with the gospel. And you feel like, I don't really fit in. I don't really belong. I have nothing good to bring. And I, I want to say to you this morning, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul would say, you are absolutely wrong. You are wrong. In fact, you are indispensable. We cannot do without you. Every single part that God has blessed and given a gift and ability, even the inconspicuous ones, are indispensable to what God wants to do in the church. You are more needed than you know, and you're more valuable than you realize. And so the more we serve, I believe we're going to see each other, even the less visible parts, and we're going to see what God is doing through each part. It's going to cause us to really appreciate and value the beauty of what God is doing through each part. We're going to love each other more. Another product of it, as you do your part, as you serve with your gifts and your abilities and your opportunities, I believe that's a way for you to communicate to the other parts of the body, I love you. This is why I'm doing this, because I love you. And we'll be able to express our love for each other more. So like a couple weeks ago, we talked about the church and abortion. That was the topic that morning. And uh, I learned that there was this young adult lady watching from home, uh, watching online, all the way there in L.A. It's not super close to Torrance, but she was in L.A. She's watching online. And God was doing something in her heart, stirring up some real love and compassion for those who are suffering or struggling with an unwanted or unplanned pregnancy. Because I found out that she, she didn't have a ride to church that morning, but she needed to do whatever it took to get here to church. And so during service, as she's watching it, she got an Uber. I found out, I was so moved when I heard that. She got an Uber to rush down to church. And as she got here, this is the first time I ever met her. We're in the lobby, and when I met her, we're just standing in front of each other. She didn't say a word because she was just overwhelmed with tears, just tears coming out. She couldn't even gather her words. And I'm thinking as I'm waiting for her to say something, I'm thinking she probably has a confession to make. Or she probably has a story to tell. But when she finally got the Words to say, I was even more moved. Because this is what she said to me. She's like, I've never had an abortion. I've never even been pregnant. But I just know that I want to help. I want to walk alongside. I want to, to suffer with anybody who's struggling or suffering. I, I Just use me. Here I am. I want to play a role in this. And she said to me, I knew I needed to get here. I just knew I needed to get here to, to offer myself to help anybody who might need help. And I love that. That's compassion. That's love. Do you know, you know the word compassion in the Latin means to suffer with? It's to suffer with. And it's like her saying, I've never suffered, I've never struggled through an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy, but I want to suffer with somebody who is suffering right now. Use me. Here I am. I want to play a role. Give me a part in this. And I see in 1 Corinthians 12, Here's what Paul goes on to say in verse 24. He says, God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's compassion. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In other words, God has designed the body so that every part would play a role in caring for each other, in loving each other, so that there's no division, but we would have equal concern for each other. And those parts, the parts we see and even the parts we don't see, the parts that are visible and even the parts that are invisible, the parts we mention and the parts that never get mentioned, every part is valuable and worthy of honor. And I love that this example of this young adult lady who came and said, let me, let me play a part, let me play a role. I want to give dignity and worth and honor to another part who's suffering, who feels like they're lacking dignity, worth, and honor. That young adult lady, she's not very visible. You've never seen her on the stage. She's not a preacher. She's not a worship leader. She's not an MC. Not very visible, but so valuable to what God wants to do in different parts of the body. Not very visible, but so very valuable and worthy of such great honor. We are one body. We are one body in every part. God is going to use the visible and the invisible parts to unite the church and grow us deeper in love for each other. And as we grow deeper in love for each other, we grow deeper in love with Christ. So on a very relational level, that's the first point I want to make, that on a relational level, our different roles help us grow deeper in love. Your role helps the church grow deeper in love. Okay. On a theological level, understand that your role helps the church grow deeper in truth. Okay, write that down. Here's the second point I want to make. Your role, all right, your role, your role, your role, your role is going to help the church grow deeper in the truth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul says about the reason why Christ gives different gifts and different roles in the church. Starting from verse 11 in Ephesians 4, he says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for what? Well, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Highlight that word unity. That we would all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Would you... Highlight the word mature as well. And so when I read this passage, I, I picture the church. Here's, that, here, here's how I see you guys. I picture the church as like this big Jesus bobblehead. You, you know what bobbleheads are, those big heads and small body? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the head, the full, mature, complete, perfect, lacking nothing, head of the body. And the church is not so mature. And yet, the more we serve each other and use our roles to serve, then we will grow into the full measure of the fullness of Christ. We will fill out as we grow in maturity and faith and knowledge, we will fill out into the head who is Christ. And so we're not there yet, but that's why we need you to play your role. And Paul points out in that passage that the diversity in our roles is going to help bring unity in our faith. 
The diversity in our worlds brings unity in the faith. Because you need to understand this, okay? Understand this, that our God is not honored and he is not glorified when his people believe different things about him. And we can all have a really good heart and good intentions, but he's not honored and glorified when we believe all sorts of things about him. God is honored when we believe the right things about him, the same thing about him, the truth about him. That's what brings him glory and honor. Let me try to illustrate this. I was thinking uh, how awesome it is that lately I've seen a lot of old friends here at the church, friends I used to go to high school with and uh, people that I haven't seen since my high school days at West High and some people from junior high. And, and they've been coming to the church. And I was thinking, how flattered would I be if they start sharing with people who've been coming to church what I was like in high school? <laughs> and what if they start saying, oh, you don't know Pastor Greg. When he was in high school, he was our, our homecoming king. You probably didn't know that, and you probably didn't know. It's probably because he had the vote of the, the smart people and, and, and the jocks, right? So, like, he had a, a 4.3 GPA. He was in AP classes and all the honors classes. And he probably doesn't talk about that. And you guys are thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. He's so humble. Right? He never talks about that, right? <laughs> and, and then you're probably thinking, like, you know, they, they tell you, like, he probably had a vote of the jocks because he was our, our star quarterback. He led our football team his senior year to the CIF. You're like, oh, my gosh, we didn't know that. He never talks about that, right? How flattered would I be if they start sharing that with you guys? Then you go start telling everybody else. How flattered would I be? Zero, not at all. Why? Because none of those things are true. I was not a homecoming king. I, I, I did not get a four-point GPA. Not even, I'm not even smart, right? And I can't even throw a football. My wife throws a better football than me. And so none of those things are true. And they could say all those things, and you could start spreading that rumor. But please don't, because that would not flatter me or honor me. That's embarrassing, because I can't live up to that. And that would just tell me that those people that I went to school with just really don't know me at all. So that doesn't honor me and flatter me when you believe things, as good as it sounds, if it's not true. And we could believe things about Jesus. We could believe things about our God, as good as your heart might be, but it might not be true. There are people in the church who, who believe that God wants you to be rich. They'll call it the prosperity gospel. Then some people say, no, God wants you to be poor. They call that the poverty gospel. But what does God want? What does God want for our people? What's his heart for us? Some people say, Jesus died on the cross to be a substitute for your sins. To, to substitute, take your place for the punishment you deserve. That's penal substitution. That's what we call that. And some people say, no, no, God's not a wrathful God, but, but Jesus died on the cross to set a good example. They call it the, good, the moral influence theory. We have to ask, why did Jesus go to the cross? What's true about our God? Why did he go to the cross? And so we could believe different things and say, I know what I know. I'll do me. You do you. But God is not glorified when we believe different things. God is glorified in the church when the church is unified in the truth. God is glorified in us when we are unified in the truth. God is glorified in the church when the church is unified in the truth. And so that's where your role comes in. Let's get very practical. 
When, when we come together, the, the ultimate goal of your diverse gift, your ability, and your role is to serve one another so that we can grow in unity, so that we can grow in one truth, one knowledge, one faith as one body through the one spirit of God. That's the goal of our gifts. That's why we serve each other. And so very practically speaking, what does that look like here at our church, in this local church? It's when you who are gifted in serving, serve. And when you are gifted in helping, you help. If you're gifted in mercy, you start showing your mercy. you gifted in hospitality, start showing hospitality. You who are generous in your giving, start giving. And when we all start to play our roles according to our gifts, what does that do? Well, practically speaking, it frees those God, those God has called our pastors to be able to focus on preaching and teaching and delivering the word of God. So that when we gather as the assembly, as the ecclesia, the church, that we would all come under one truth together. So practically, when you put on that blue t-shirt and you serve in our nursery or our kids crew ministry, what are you doing? Well, you're freeing up parents to be able to come to gather and assemble with the ecclesia, the church, so that they can hear the preaching of the word of God. And when you greet someone because you're on the greeting team or you usher someone to their seats, what are you doing? You're creating a welcoming environment so that people's walls come down and they feel comfortable to be able to come in, worship, and to hear the preaching of the word of God. And when the tech team, when you put on that black shirt and, and you start adjusting the lights so people can see and adjusting the sound so people can hear, and you start clicking the slides and you start moving the camera, many of these people right now, you do not see them. They're invisible to you. But they're serving you right now. What you guys are doing, is you're helping people hear and see the word of God. You're helping people in the living rooms right now hear and see the word of God. They're hearing the preaching of the word of God. When you take your gifts outside of this place, your gifts of evangelism, and you share your story, and you share the story of the cross, and then you invite them to South Bay Community Church to gather and assemble with the ecclesia of the church, you're inviting them to come and sit under the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And so when we do that together, we assemble as one together. What are we doing? We're growing united because we're hearing and learning the same things about God. And some of you guys are thinking, well, who's to say that you pastors are teaching the right thing? Who says that you got it right? Well, I get it. We could be wrong. And that's where some of you in the body of Christ who might have the gift of discernment, the gift of wisdom, the gift of the knowledge of the word of God. If you hear something that's not right, that's off, you come and lovingly and graciously show us what you think might be an error and might be off. And let's work together. To study the word, what does the word really say? So that we can help the body grow as one united in the true faith and knowledge of God. Amen? And so I want to ask you an application. What has God given you? What gift has God given you? What burden has he birthed inside of you? What passion has he placed on your heart? What role is God giving you to be responsible over so that together, every single part, Every one of you has the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. How are you going to help us to grow deeper, not just in love, but also in truth? Let's serve together. And as we close, 
I want to invite our worship team to lead us in a response of praise. And, and these people who do this faithfully week after week, they're, they're gifted and they've been given the role to lead us in worship. But let's say as we close, we're about to sing right now. Let's say I decide, you know, I'm just going to go up to Lauren's guitar and just start detuning her guitar. What are you going to do about that, huh? <laughs> and let's say, um, uh, you know, we're backstage and, you know, Pastor Dan's guitar is there and we accidentally knock it and we do tune his guitar. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> let's say uh, Adam, his guitar has been in his car all, all day yesterday. It's hot, right? And so the heat and the, te- the, the, the weather is kind of detuning his guitar. So we got three out of tune guitars. So what's going to happen when they start getting together to lead us in worship? What's that going to sound like? Well, let's see. Shall we? <laughs> Can you guys lead us in some worship? Let's respond. Amen. Let's, let's go. All right, all right, that's good, that's good, that's good, right? That's terrible, right? Some of you guys who are tone deaf are like, yeah, shout to the Lord, all right. No, 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 that's not shouting to the Lord. That's screeching to the Lord. That's terrible. That's not how it's supposed to sound. Well, well, of course, because they're all out of tune. But what if I say, okay, we got to get united. We got to be together, okay? So I I, I really love Lauren's worship leading. So I want you, Adam, to tune your guitar to her guitar which is out of tune. And I want you, Dan, to tune yourself to her guitar that's out of tune. What's going to happen? Well, they might all be in tune with each other. They might sound alike, but they're still going to be off. It's still going to be wrong. Why? Because they tune themselves to an imperfect standard. So that doesn't do us any good. But what if, what if I had a perfect standard? What if I had something that was pitch perfect? And I could say, hey, instead of tuning to each other, what if we tune to one thing that we know is true? And I say to uh, Lauren, would you tune to this? Would you tune yourself to that? Yeah, keep going. Is that good? That's good? Yeah, that's good. It says it's good, right? So, and then I say, Dan, I want you to tune yourself to this standard. All right. And then I, I do the same thing to Adam. I say, hey, listen, I want you to tune yourself to this standard. Well, what's it, what's it going to be like when you get yourself right? There we go. What should happen now? When they start playing together and serving together and leading together, they're going to be united and in harmony. And they're going to sound like they're supposed to sound. Because they've tuned themselves to a perfect standard. And so my prayer is that for us as a church, you would use your role and your gifts not to point to this pastor or to that pastor, to this man or to that woman, to this ministry leader or that small group leader, but that we would work hard together to point each other to come to sit under this, the true perfect standard of God's word. And that we would grow deeper in maturity in our faith, in our knowledge, and the truth of who he is. And when we go deeper as a church, I believe that brings praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, and then let's respond by shouting to the Lord. Amen? Father God, we thank you so much that you have called us into your body. What a privilege. 
to know the head, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, you don't just bless us with salvation. Lord, that is more than enough, God. That's more than we deserve. And yet, you continue to give us grace and, and, and you give us abilities and skills and roles and gifts to use to bless other people. So Lord, take us deeper as a church. Help us to go deeper in our faith, to grow in love and maturity so that we can more beautifully reflect our head, Jesus Christ, more and more with each passing season, God. God, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And all we could do right now is respond and just shout out to you, Lord. Shout your praises and let the world know, even beyond these walls, how great of God you are, how worthy of our praise you are. And so we do that now with every breath in our lungs. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we all say, amen. amen.